Our second reading comes from the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter. This is part of what is commonly referred to as Jesus' farewell discourse in John's Gospel. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet in the upper room and is now preparing for all that will come, the events that will lead eventually to the cross and then to the empty tomb. Let us listen once more for God's word, hearing these verses from John 13, beginning with the 31st verse. Now when Judas was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, Jesus continues, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. And so a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is titled, A Love Anyway, Love. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. At some point after officiating enough wedding ceremonies, I began to realize that I was basically trying to say the same exact thing in the homily part of the ceremony, that part where we reflect on the scriptures and and the story of the couple being married and maybe where they intersect. I, I realized I was effectively trying to say the same thing just a little differently. I began most of those homilies by inviting the couple just to take a deep breath. You know, it's a lot of weeks and months and years even that have led them to that moment. Seems worthwhile to slow down just enough to actually notice the people and faces around you. I talk a little bit just about their story, but then I get to this part where I always try and say something like, y'all need to know something. Life and love, and especially life and love and marriage, It's not always easy. In fact, it's often quite hard. I talk about how you two, going out from this day, you'll disappoint each other. You will say things and do things that that you wish maybe you hadn't said or done. I have this friend who uh, once got invited to do a marriage or a wedding at Disney World. Nothing against weddings at Disney World. But this particular couple that she was marrying, they were intent, the bride in particular, was intent on having a fairy tale wedding. Costumes, everything. She even wanted to look at the words the pastor was going to use in the ceremony and make sure they were sort of your happy ending kind of words. But this pastor, she was having none of it. In the homily in that ceremony, she looked at them and she said, y'all need to know marriage isn't a fairy tale. And the reason I think she, she felt compelled to say that wasn't to just sort of be a Debbie Downer. She was, she was saying it because she's a follower of Jesus Christ. And in fact, I wonder if somewhere deep in the recesses of her, her mind and her heart, if she didn't have these very verses from John's gospel 
and mind. Because you see, Jesus, of all people, Jesus knows that life and love isn't always easy. In fact, it's often quite hard. This little pericope, this package of verses we've just read, they're bookended on either side right before Judas has been identified as the one who will betray Jesus. Right after, Jesus predicts that Peter, his best friend, essentially will deny him three times. And it's only a few more chapters till we get to the part where Jesus is is sentenced to death and put on a cross. And yet in the midst of all of that, Jesus speaks these words, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's as if Jesus is saying to them, Look, folks, life is hard but love anyway. It's as if he's teaching them about his love, God's love, that it is a love anyway kind of love. I have this friend from my time in Atlanta. I knew him through the Presbyterian Church I was a part of there. He's not a pastor, not even a leader necessarily in that church. He, he shows up at worship. He helps in a lot of ministries. He has an amazing heart. He was invited, though, to be part of a group from Atlanta, Presbyterians from Atlanta, as well as some others from around the country, to to travel as a delegation to Lebanon, to that country on the northern border of Israel, a country with a difficult history, particularly in the past century, with war and violence and other things. They were going as a delegation of our denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, and their task was to visit and learn and just listen to the Presbyterians there. Y'all know that? They're Presbyterians right now like us gathered in Lebanon and Syria, 30 different congregations, big and small. As part of their visit there, they crossed the border. 2016 is when they were there. They crossed the border into Syria and they went to Homs. Y'all might recognize that name because Homs is sort of ground zero for that awful civil war that has consumed that country and other places touching it now for over six years. In Homs, there is a fairly large Presbyterian church, as in the old city of that city. Early on in the violence, that church had been shelled and the the sanctuary ceiling had fallen in to the sanctuary. By the time my friend got there, they had rebuilt the ceiling, but he said there were signs still everywhere. He remembered looking down and he could see the the pot marks and the divots and the cement where that ceiling had fallen in. And outside, he said, there was graffiti and, and bullet holes and signs of violence. The members of that congregation had only recently returned to homes. They had fled for years and been refugees as extremists had moved in and taken over that neighborhood and most of that city. And when they returned, they found that their church had effectively been used as a headquarters, a battlefield headquarters for many of the extremists who had been there. And he said there was this ancillary building, this little outbuilding just off the sanctuary that had some offices and two small classrooms. And he said, you didn't have to ask. You could tell that unimaginable things had happened in these spaces. But this church and its members, just a few weeks, a few months returned, they had already started the work of repurposing those spaces, those classrooms from places of of unimaginable violence 
to these places, these centers for their community. These rooms now were being used for vocational training, both for people in the church and anyone in the neighborhood. They had been given some computers and they had been able to hook them up to the internet and they invited people to come who needed to, who needed to connect with relatives or friends who were still displaced to, to find out about resources that could aid them in putting their lives back together. A mosque around the corner in the same neighborhood, it too had been damaged more severely than the Presbyterian church. And so these Presbyterians who had returned, they had invited the members of that mosque to bring their sacred texts and scrolls and some of their important relics for that community and store them in the Presbyterian church until they were able to rebuild. My friend, he said, you know, when I was there, it was as if they were trying to love, this church was trying to love their community back to life, one person at a time. As I have loved you, Jesus says, so you must love one another. You know, it's interesting. I, I think, myself included, that we really like the first part of that statement, don't we? As I have loved you. We like getting some of God's love. It's that second part. It's that second part that we sometimes, I think, treat as optional. Sometimes conveniently skip over We like being loved. We just don't always like having to love others. But Jesus' love, this this love anyways kind of love, it demands more. If it's just that one-way love, as I have loved you, if it's just that, then it's cheap grace. Because Jesus makes clear that his love, that love anyway kind of love, it's a two-way street. Because we are loved, we must love others. That's strong language. It's the fulfillment of those verses that we mentioned at Emmy's baptism. That scripture that says, because you are loved, you are sent to love. We are people who are sent to to be brave, to take risk, be it crossing a border or be it extending a hand. We are people who are called to love not just for the sake of our own lives, but for the sake of the world. That t-shirt I had on during the children's moment, uh, it is a t-shirt from this organization that I was told about by friends some time ago called the Preemptive Love Coalition. Their slogan is love anyways. They are this organization that's been in homes in Syria and Iraq for a number of years now, and their purpose, they say, is to, to equip and care for and train people in such a way that if they are ever not there, those people have the tools and the resources to go on living and caring for their own families and their own communities. I went on their website last week, and I, I found this page that listed some of their core values. And I love them both for what they say, but also for how compact and succinct they are. Here's one of their values. They say, our message, love anyways, our message is our mission. Another one said, we're on the front lines, not the sidelines. And then there was another one that said, we focus on people, not problems. So earlier this year, I got uh, lunch with all the elders of our church, and I just listened to them uh, when I asked, what do you think the priorities for our church need to be? 
And from those conversations, Session received and adopted these three priorities. We're going to work as a church on how we welcome people into our church. We're going to talk about stewardship, the ways we are called to use our resources and gifts to support the ministry, the life-changing ministry of our church. And we're going to look at the organization of how we do ministry, our committees and ministry teams. Boring stuff for some, very exciting for, for others. They adopted these three priorities and we formed task forces. They're groups of people right now who have been working for about a month and a half just learning about, talking about, reading about each of those priorities. They'll report back next month. I've had this unique ability, though, to get to drop into each of the task forces. And each of them, at some point or another, has had this conversation where they come back and they ask, what is our mission? I mean, what, what is our core value system of this church? So there's a big, long mission statement. You can read it on the church website. It's full of good stuff. But what they seem to want to know is if we were to boil our mission down to just a few words, what would it say? I got to tell you, preemptive love isn't a bad mission statement. I mean, can you all imagine a church and a world built on the core values of that preemptive love coalition? A church that raises up graduates who are then sent out into the world with the mindset that the message of love anyways is their mission, no matter where they go, no matter what they do. Can you imagine people of faith who who go out onto the front lines of hurt and destruction and pain and poverty and understand their mission as being one of loving their community back to life one person at a time? Can you imagine, really, can you imagine a church that is more focused on people than its problems? Wow. Can you imagine being the church of preemptive love? These people who gather week in and week out, who are committed to meeting others on the front lines of this hard life, the front lines of all of your lives. All the gifts and the shortcomings, the faith and the doubts, the strengths and the sicknesses. Meeting people on those front lines and loving them anyways. I love that line in our passage where it says from Jesus, he says, uh, you can't go where I'm going. I don't think a church that adopts a mission statement of preemptive love and does those things are going to get to where Jesus has gone. But I got to tell you, I do think it's going to send us a few more steps down the path. So that same friend, when he was in homes, they were there over a weekend. And so the group of them, they went to worship that Sunday in that sanctuary with its rebuilt roof, but all the signs of war. And he said, I went sort of thinking, you know, it's probably not going to be that full. But instead, he arrived in the sanctuary that felt like Easter morning, just packed full of people. These people who had just returned home, one of the first places they wanted to go was church. And they were serving communion that day and worship. And, and he said they kept running out of elements of bread and wine in that church. And so the ushers, for our ushers, this is a universal thing, the ushers were frantic The ushers were running up and down the aisles. They kept having to go back and cut more bread and and pour more wine. He told me this story years ago, and it's just stuck with me because it's this amazing image of God's abundance, of God's enoughness. 
But it stuck with me, too, for another reason, because it got me thinking. It got me imagining that that community, that church, those people who don't need a wedding homily to tell them life is hard. It got me imagining what must have been going through their minds as they came forward, much as we do every communion Sunday, to receive those elements. It got me imagining the words being spoken to them, the same words spoken to us on any given Sunday, the body of Christ broken for you and the cup of salvation. Life is hard. Love anyway. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. For it is by loving one another Everyone, everyone will know that you are my disciples. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.